enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. What? That's Tim? What? That's Andy? And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I get together, we ta- we talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classic down to that rare gem that just wants to see a merman <laughs> at the back of your video store shelf. This week, Tim and I are taking a vacation from 2011 we're going out to rent the cabin in the woods tim what way would you choose to kill your friends oh oh okay um well yeah i like there being options i i like that idea that that makes it exciting and you know even if they're my friends like i want to do right by them by making sure they get killed in a really cool way right you know, the whole, like, uh, I know in this movie they use, uh, you know, some zombie hillbillies. I, I don't know. The hillbilly thing is is kind of overdone. Um, I would say, um, you know, the most terrifying thing to me, like, if I pick in my life as it is right now the scariest thing to me, which I, I am ashamed to admit this because it's weird, <laughs> but my biggest irrational fear and it's not every single night it pops up like maybe once every couple of months but i have this thing where if i have a hand or like a foot outside of the blanket that a creepy old lady (laughs) is going to like come along when she's like laughing and she's creepy and she's got like these like sharp knives and she's going to cut my foot or hand off wow it's very strange but it's not unheard of it's actually i looked it up one time it's called old hag like it's it actually (laughs) is like a documented common fear of um for whatever reason a creepy old lady that wants to attack you and kill you wow um, like like do you wake up fearing this or you're just laying there and laying you're like in, oh my god right now laying in bed and enjoying the fact that i get to have a limb outside of the blankets and then suddenly instantly regretting it because i know that if i keep it out of the blanket then the old lady's gonna come and cut it off oh, wow <laughs> It's bizarre. So it's um, not a part of any kind of night terror. No, it's I wish it a, was because yeah, that would make a lot more sense, right? right? It'd sound a lot less uh, crazy. But no, it's just one of those weird, irrational things. Like, I don't have anything else like that. Like, I don't have to, like, turn the light switch on and off six times or everyone in my family will die. Like, I don't have anything obsessive like that. Right. This is just a weird thing. And the funny thing is, the older that I get, the more that when it happens... I'll take the time to say to myself, like, this is ridiculous. Number one, I just physically should be able to, like, overcome yeah, any old say, What are the fighting classes for if they're <laughs> right. not to ward off an old woman? <laughs> right. But the thing is, it's like, I'll lay there and I'll rationalize that and I'll just, you know, laugh it off. And then, like, there's like a beat and I'm like. Yeah, but what if I just pull it in just to play it safe, you know, and so I just end up doing it. But um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, I'm going to say attacked by vicious elderly people. Wow. Because that's creepy. Yeah. 
And it's not to say that I don't love some elderly people. Like, I mean, there's, they're doing nothing wrong. They're just living. Yeah. Uh, for an extended amount of time. But yeah, I do for me personally, that's super creepy. And if I'm going to have a group of friends be killed ritualistically, I, you know, I don't want it to just be like they walk into a room and then the whole thing explodes like that. There's no, oh, yeah. there's nothing to that. No. Give me some like creepy laughing in another room, some echoed like little laughing. Maybe it kind of smells a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, these old people descend on them. Yeah. Speaking of old people uh, killing you, did you go see X yet? No, I haven't. Did that just ruin it for me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You always got to have some creepy old person in a movie. Yeah, you have to. Um, but but uh, go see that. Yes. Yeah, I, I should do that. I because, do yeah, that. that is your, you know, you just played out X, essentially. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to be terrified. <laughs> I'm going to do I'm going to go all the way with it. I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to go like on an off night and sit like as close to the screen as possible. So I don't see anyone in front of me and I'm just in there by myself. <laughs> right. Oh, that'd be awesome. I've did that. I, I've done that before. I did that with the Exorcist well, I do not 3. recommend sitting that close. Well, the yeah, there theater. is that. That's, yeah. Do you have you gone through a cycle in your life? of choosing where in the theater you like to sit. And has that changed over time? Uh, I mean, no, well, yeah, I guess a little bit. I mean, yeah, it used to just be like, Oh, if I can get in the, as in the middle as possible, rose up and then in the middle. But now we really like at our local theater, the Cinemark or whatever it is. Yeah. Cinemark. Yeah. Uh, the front row, you know, it's got the railing. So we like to put our feet up on the railing and now it's all assigned seating, which I love assigned seating at the movies. It rules. Uh, I snag those as early as I can and I don't have to worry. You don't have to get to the fucking movie an hour early anymore to get the seats you want. You might have to tell somebody to get out of your seat, which I've had to I do, but no they... problem doing that. <laughs> no, I like I, I thought when that assigned seating thing first came out around here, I know it's been in other places or like fancier movie theaters and stuff like that in, in larger cities. But when it first came to our place, it was just kind of like, oh, this sucks. Like, this is just like ruining the spirit of going to the to the movies and finding a seat. And then I'm like, well, that's ridiculous because, <laughs> yes, it's nice to find the place where you like to sit. As a kid, I for whatever reason, we have de had designated the fourth row. Uh -huh. Now, movie theaters were also different when we were kids, like the layout. Yes. Maybe even the screen size, certainly the auditorium size or the the, the way that the seats are split up. But, um, yeah, for whatever reason, we love the, the fourth row. And then now I'm a big fan of back row middle like all the way to the back because oh, okay. then at least you know you don't have you might have somebody in front of you but you have nobody behind you pushing on your seat right. and uh and you still get because of like the super raked stadium seating yeah you, you have like a really great view that's true yeah but and yeah, I, I was just thinking about our old general cinema man who like they designed that with you put the aisle down the middle who designs theaters with aisles in the middle. It's insane. That's true. Yeah, it 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 just it you, just, you, do, you do not see that anymore. Yeah, I don't even know what the thought would be there unless it was that you had fewer seats to climb over to get to a walkway maybe. I mean, I guess. But but that doesn't make sense because there should be an aisle Close, yeah, there's none on the walls, yeah. so you're still trapped going only one way. You know, one time speaking of that middle aisle, um, some I it was myself and two other friends, 
and we wanted to go to the movies. It was the middle of the day and it was the weekend and <laughs> we didn't have any money. So we were like, what if we do a lemonade stand and make the money and then go to the movies? Mm -hmm. So we had this huge, like it must've been a box that like a, a refrigerator came in. We had this huge giant piece of cardboard and we wrote, you know, lemonade stand on it or whatever, you know, lemonade 50 cents. And we went out on a, a relatively like popular road in town and we're just literally like risking life and limb, just running out in front of moving cars with this <laughs> giant sign. People got such a kick out of it. They were just paying like five bucks oh, for a cup, geez. like just enjoying yeah. like the thrill of it. So in literally in 15 minutes, we had enough money to go to the movies. We all go to the movies. We're probably like 11, 12 years old. And as soon as we get there late, as soon as we walk in, we look over and the, whichever friend was in front just goes, girls and then i looked over and my buddy behind me looked over and just seeing other girls our age then made us trip and fall and the three of us <laughs> fell like basically tumbled the whole rest of the way down the aisle very cute um but yeah i i still love going to the cinema um you know i know that obviously covid played a, a hand in that whole thing but i i still feel like that there is I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive, but don't don't you get a little bit more excitement from that? Do you still feel that like oh, movie excitement? Yeah, I love going to the theater. Yeah, I mean, so much so that you know, I thought Black Widow was good just because I was <laughs> seeing it in the theater. <laughs> and I got home. And I'm I like, Wait, that movie kind of sucked. Now that I think about it, I forget about that movie. <laughs> I, I remember watching it, which and we kind of saw together on un, un, we were both in the theater, but we didn't know it until the very end. Oh no! You know what? I loved I loved. Um, what, Black, Black Widow. Widow. I was thinking you were referencing Black Swan, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm also like a little torn about that movie. Did you uh, see that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. Yeah, it's sure. It's weird, yeah. but it's like. I like that guy's movies, though. I mean. Who did that? Uh, Efronsky. Is that his name? I'm, I know I'm uh, botching it. Is that supposed Aaron, to be a. Aaron. Oh, uh, Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Oh, that's right. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, he did Pie. Pie. And he did uh, Requiem. Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Black Swan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> then there was, yeah, he had a couple missteps. Um, I can't remember what they were, but yeah, he's still relatively. Uh, he did Mother, which oh, I yes. love. Mother was awesome. Do you like Mother? Yes. Fuck yes, Only dude. because I'm, I'm sitting oh, we there. we should do Mother. Oh, we should. That movie, God, I, I forgot, completely forgotten about that. That was a movie that probably had me, in the best way, the most confused I've ever been in a movie ever. Sure. Not because of a convoluted plot, but just because the narrative itself is following such a strange trajectory. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's the, um, whatever you're trying to put together of like, Oh, this is that relationship or this was what might've happened in the past, or this is who these people are now. All of that just goes completely to hell. Yeah. And then you're like, what the hell am I watching? And I remember, reading about it obsessively after I saw it to try and figure it out. And I think it's one of those that's just, what is it? Just like a metaphor for some. Yeah. For kind of, earth. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. It's about yes, the yeah. rise of man and what we do to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Essentially. Yeah. It's a fun. I time. saw that alone and I fucking loved it. I was just like, but then no one seemed to really like it. It got a lot of hate, but I think it's because it is so, weird it's it feels so slow and then the last third is 
fucking crackers. Yes. It's so funny. No, you're right. It did get kind of like there's no like you mother. Know, and people don't like pre. I'm surprised you like it because that is kind of a like. Yeah. Preachy ish yeah. movie. I don't even know. But it's know. not like no one is going like climate change is bad. Like, right. You kind of have to pick that up through the movie. Yeah. And I don't even know. I, I know that I liked it. But I don't even know if I liked it in the way, in the traditional sense of, oh, I love that. That was so awesome. I think I was just so turned on by how much it had me thinking and guessing. But yeah, it's virtually forgotten. Like, there's no, like, mother lunchboxes out there. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, there's no merch. Um, but, but yeah, I really, God, and I even swore to myself after I saw that movie that I was going to see it again. All right, and I well, had to we'll, see it again. We'll cover it. Okay. We'll get to see it again. We'll talk about it then. <sighs> Any other horror movies you want to talk yeah, about? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Cabin in the Woods from 2011. Here's uh, all the uh, Wikipedia facts. It was written by uh, Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard, and it was directed by Drew Goddard. It stars uh, Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Richie Jenkins. It had a budget of $30 million, a box office of 66 well, I thought it was higher, but I was a little surprised by that. Uh, let's do Nan some, and then we can do get into some spoilers. Five friends go out to have a fun weekend in a remote cabin. Everything about their weekend seems all too familiar. Drinking, partying, and sex. The only thing that seems out of place is the control room watching their every move. <laughs> Are the friends being set up? It will only be a matter of time before they figure out that their weekend getaway is nothing more than a ritualistic sacrifice to ancient gods whose altar sits upon the cabin in the woods. Do you think what if um, what if Elton John like how he changed the lyrics for uh, Princess Di to Candle in the Wind? Like if he had to like <laughs> do a memorial service for like a bunch of teenagers that got killed out in the woods, and he does cabin, cabin in the woods. <laughs> God, it's all set up for him. It's yeah. served up on a silver like, platter. Well, yeah, he's like, I'm old. I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind coming back to this <laughs> trough trough of money. <laughs> Yeah, sold as, as like a CD. I buy that single, yeah. Sold as a CD single at Walgreens at the <laughs> checkout, you know, next to the chocolate roses. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and also I'm going to say, uh, you know, we, I don't know if we have much claim to this. I'm going to say Richard Jenkins, friend of the show. I'm just going to say it. We it's love that guy. Yeah. And every if he, if he loved us a tenth of how much we love him. Like, <laughs> right. he's, we're best friends. Yes. And it's so funny. He's one of those actors where it's like, once you start, you, you find a performance that you really like him in, and then you start realizing other things that you saw him in. And of course you remember him, but he just like, he's so perfect in every single thing he does. Yeah, I was just thinking today, like, what was the first movie where I'm like, okay, this guy, like, I got to remember this, you know, who is this guy? Why does he rule on everything? I see Step Brothers? Well, I think the movie, I think the movie where I was like, Okay. I mean, it was probably much later in his career. I think he got nominated for an Oscar for it. I don't remember the name of the movie. All I remember is he plays like a conga drum in it. <laughs> it's just kind of like an older guy trying to find himself. And he like meets like his, you know, young, uh, uh, diverse neighbors, you know, and is you know, it's just like an old white guy experiencing culture. I can't remember what that movie is called. Kind of like uh, Matthew McConaughey in like 30 years. Like just sitting out there in real life. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Hold on. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll find it. I'll but find yeah, it. great, great actor. And he fills out a, a really great cast. And it's it's kind of funny. It's it's one of those few movies. Well, I shouldn't say few, but it's certainly a movie where the supporting characters are at very least as engaging as the leads, if not, and probably in this case, more so. Yeah. Um, now, the film is called The Visitor. Oh, yeah. That, that had quite a buzz. Yeah. Yeah, lonely man did... in his late middle age whose oh, life changes. Win? Did he win for that? No. Uh, he won the International Press Academy's Satellite Award. Well, that's the important for one. For Best Actor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could say that I won that. They're, they are working it. feverishly at finding someone who will punch someone at their next award. <laughs> <laughs> Put us on the map. <laughs> yeah, that's what it takes now. Yeah. Um. No, this movie is great. Uh, you and I saw this together in the movie theater. Yes, we did. And uh, which we haven't seen a lot of movies together. No. <laughs> I mean, we like, almost... where we made plans to go see a movie. It yeah. was like this. We went to that Phantasm. Yes. John dies at the end. Double feature. We almost saw um, Grindhouse. We did see Grindhouse. No, you had to leave because the cat. Oh, my cat got hit by a car. That's yeah. right. We had to leave. Yeah. So, yeah. You left. Oh, no. We both left. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, dude, I got to go. But I did end up going. I think I went by myself. I did yeah, go. Yeah. Then we both went by yeah. ourselves. Went by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Which was, I'll tell you what, I. it would have been a great experience with each other. I should just save this for another episode. No. You know what? I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it sometime soon, I'm sure. Very soon. <laughs> But no, this movie is... Is that it, though? Are those the only movies we've seen uh, together in a theater? I think so. I think so. Wow. Yeah. So I tried talk- The day we saw Cabin in the Woods, I tried talking you into then going to the next theater over, or whatever, to see um, 21 Jump Street. Yeah, that's right. But you right. were like, ah, I can't. I gotta... I'm yeah. so busy. Oh, I'm sure I had fighting somebody. class. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I would have loved to. <laughs> that would have been... date... I'm sure that would have been better than whatever it was I ended up doing. But um, did you ever see 21 Jump Street? Uh, yeah, actually? absolutely, okay. <laughs> absolutely. And that scene at the end when Depp is in it, and that it's it's really it. it I mean, here we are talking about Meta. Um, it's so touching when he's talking to Peter Deloise because it's not just <laughs> like there are characters. It's kind of the fact that Depp just skyrocketed and Peter Deloise went nowhere. Right. And it's this really touching, like almost emotional scene between those two. And yeah, it's, it was it, nice to see them uh, together again. Yeah, right. And Depp is kind of apologizing like I was a jerk and I'm sorry. And, <laughs> right. you know, oh, so awesome. <laughs> so great. Um, but yes, here's here's Cabin in the Woods now. This is kind of what Hollywood dreams are made of, because you've got Drew Goddard, who is from New Mexico, and he went to Los Angeles. Oh, is that how it's pronounced? I said Goodard, didn't I? Did you? <laughs> Surprised like, you didn't jump all over me. Like, uh, like something being better? Yeah, like it's Goodard. Goodard. It's Goodard than <laughs> But I, I believe it's Goddard. It sounds fancier that way. Yeah, yeah um, that, that's probably true. So uh, um, Drew Goddard is from New Mexico. He goes to L.A. He wants to get into film. And he works as a PA on um, on a TV show. He does a lot of that. A lot of them get canceled. He's, you know, working in the business, but he's not really doing anything. Um, but his goal was always to be a writer. So he writes a spec script uh, for Six Feet Under. Okay. And so that script 
just creates a buzz. And it's just, it's not even like he was hired to write for the show. It was just like, Hey, if I were to write for your show, this is what I would write. You know, I mean, that's impressive. Cause that's a show kind of known for it's writing. Right. So to exactly. be like, I, I wrote one that, that's actually better. Yeah. <laughs> I I've never seen a frame of it. Uh, oh, you not, haven't? I never Tim, seen you it. Would- love that show really oh my god it's yeah so good. i've never i've never seen that that was like the beginning stages of me not seeing things that i should have seen oh wow <laughs> like yeah. that was... one of the best finales of all time is really oh yeah so good. how many how many seasons would you guess mm, five or six okay i can do that guess who's in it who richard jenkins oh fuck <laughs> yes <laughs> all right well then i will watch it that's awesome um that's very cool uh so so Godard is, uh, he writes this spec script and I believe it might've even gotten picked up by six feet under. Like, I think they were just like, yes, can we have this please? Yeah. And, but either way that, that particular one script that he wrote for one TV episode, uh, is generating some buzz. And he had a friend who was friends with Marty Noxon, who was a writer, director, and eventually showrunner for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So this friend gives this spec script that Godard had written to Marty Noxon. They read it and they literally hired him the next day wow. to, to write for Buffy. And he wrote some pretty important episodes on Buffy, like really, really well celebrated. Um, it, hey, there was an episode emanate, uh, emanated, nominated for an Emmy. Was it Hush? Mm, That's the only no, it was the body. The one where the mom is dead. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, also Buffy, also a show known for its writing. Um, it really is. I mean, it's, it's very funny. But um, so he starts working on Buffy and then eventually switches over to Angel, uh, which was the spinoff series. And then he and Joss Whedon are always talking about wanting to, to do a, a movie together. And they, they really wanted to do a horror movie because they kind of bonded on that. And it didn't go much of anywhere until Joss was like, hey, I've got this idea. And I'm thinking that I want to do a cabin movie. And uh, Drew Goddard is just like, I love cabin movies, <laughs> <laughs> like whatever you may, whatever they may be. And um, so this is kind of fun. Joss had really had the whole thing mapped out. He had the idea of, you know, kids in a cabin and then like some surveillance group that kind of oversaw the whole thing. So he had all that mapped out in his head. Yeah. But then he, you know, he went back and forth with Drew and they came out, they kind of fleshed out the the structure of it. And then uh, Josh said, OK, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go. We're going to get a hotel room and we're going to get like a like a two story one. And you're going to be in the upstairs. I'll be in the downstairs. We have to do 15 pages each a day. We'll split it up Uh and we're not leaving this room until we have a script. (laughs) And not only did they have a script, but they knew the business well enough to say, we're going to come up with our script. We're going to come up with suggestions for crew. We're going to calculate our budget and we're going to submit it as a package. Like this is, we have thought of everything. So it's very different in that most scripts will get funneled into the studio for like reconstruction and ideas and suits, putting their opinions on things. And then you have to hope that it doesn't go through too hard through the meat grinder before it, it finishes up. But they were like, no, this thing is done. You have to do nothing except say yes. And even if based on the numbers and the budget, even if it doesn't do great, you're still going to make your money back. And you say that to any studio and they're like, we're interested. Yeah. Yeah. We like that. 
Um, MGM made the movie, but then MGM had some issues and basically had to sell off its assets. Yeah. One of those assets. Which I do not remember being a thing. Like, I felt like that would have been a bigger you, you think you'd hear about that yeah. unless the people at MGM are probably like, can we keep this quiet? <laughs> like we are imploding. We have a <laughs> We'd prefer status. To we don't want to lose. <laughs> right. So one of those, um, those bits of, of assets was the script. And um, it went to Lionsgate and Lionsgate made saw Lionsgate made hostile. Like they're a very genre friendly uh, production company and they loved it. And they're like, you don't have to change a thing. We love it. We believe in it. And we're going to put it out there because it had been the movie was made. And then it was a couple of years before it came out. Yeah. Which is weird because I think Chris Hemsworth had maybe hit before this movie came out uh, before it was released. Yes. Before it was released. Yes. Yeah. So he basically makes this movie and then gets it wasn't Thor. What was the thing he got right before Thor? Uh, oh, I don't know. Like he was popular. He got like one big thing. And then he got Thor, and then it was like huge. Uh, that's a good question. I just remember Thor in oh, the wow. uh, in the director's commentary when. Uh, uh, oh, he was in Star Trek. That kind of uh, he was uh, Kirk's dad in the Star Trek reboot. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, he's he's the guy who kind of sacrifices himself at the beginning of that movie. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of where people were like, who's this handsome, young, heroic fella? Right. And uh, yeah, when uh, he comes first comes on the screen in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, uh, are you thinking of Red Dawn? Oh, yeah, it was Red Dawn. He got Ugh. Red Dawn. So he gets cast in a, you know, a, at least a, a movie that has a name attached to it. And then uh, or like a title. And then I think a week after Red Dawn, he got Thor. Yeah. So like when he first comes onto the screen in the director's commentary, when Goddard and, um, and Whedon are watching this, Whedon's like, did that guy ever do anything else? <laughs> you know, went on to superstardom, but, um, but yeah, so and they you know they're all like, almost they're like, God, if we just held off the release of this a couple more years, right. Gonna really big. Cause even then, like Chris Hemsworth, you're like the Thor guy. All right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, MGM has to sell it off. And, you know, MGM being the ones to make the movie, there was a little bit of strife there, even though um, Whedon and and Goddard really had everything well packaged. They had their opinions on things. And one of the things in particular, not not to jump ahead, but there's a particular scene in this movie where there is somebody being killed on a screen, but there's a lot of celebration going on for something separate from that. And they were just like, people are going to hate this. Like that is mean spirited. What? And we, we need to cut that. That's one of the best parts. And uh, absolutely. (laughs) And, and Godard knew that, like he knew that that was, that's the crux of the whole thing is the idea of, you know, this pain and suffering going on and people like enjoying it and having fun with it. And it's kind of a comment on horror even. Yeah. And, um, Whedon came to him and he's like, look, I, I, cause Joss Whedon served as producer and he's like, we, we got to cut it. Like it, it I, I hate to do it, but we have to cut it. And I guess Godard like literally broke down in tears in front of him. And he's like, I can't lose that scene. Like that's, that means everything to me. And Whedon just was a fucking badass and went back to the MGM and he's just like, we're not cutting that. We're yeah. not cutting any of it. And it stays in the movie or there is no movie. And they're like, oh, okay. I mean, what else do you do in that? 
scene. Like, I know that seems it, like, but they just thought in their minds. But see, they were they were had concerns all the way through this movie because it is unconventional in that, especially the way that it starts with you know we're we're not really in a cabin. We're in this sort of like Stanley Kubrick, you know, wet dream like <laughs> sterile, you know, scientific <laughs> building, and um, the the MGM just didn't get it. They were like, you know, audiences aren't going to know where they are. They're not. This is too intellectual. Um, nobody's going to enjoy this. They want, you know, they want nudity and kids killed in the cabin in the woods and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Completely missing the point of the film. <laughs> right. But Lionsgate, they're they're awesome. And they were like, no, we we know what you wanted to do and you did it. So let's put it out. Yeah. So that's really the whole story. I mean, it's it's kind of neat in that you have an up and comer, you have his mentor, they get together, they churn something out and just made it happen. Wow. See, that's crazy cuz just uh, when I heard the concept or you know, saw the trailer for the movie, I'm like, what a fucking brilliant concept. Why hasn't anyone thought of this yet? So it's insane that the people who made it would be like, no one is going to get this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I think Meta was kind of we were talking before and you're like, I'm a little over meta, which is so am I like, um, you know, people went Gaga for, uh, the new Spider-Man, which I enjoyed and I love Spider-Man, but I was, you know, I'm like, all right, I've seen a little off of like, yeah, let's just stop jerking each other off. Yeah. Like, like you know. I get it. Uh, you know, and, and that, I mean, that movie was like a combination of like meta and nostalgia. Like there's so many, like, yeah, the, there's, you know, never mind the nostalgic references, just like the meta shit of like, you know, I'm a bit of a scientist myself and, you know, Tobey Maguire's back problems. And like you you have to know so much outside of the actual movies they're referencing. Right. To understand a lot of the shit in it. Um, that does seem way overplayed now. But I feel like when this came out, like meta as a thing. Like we just called it self-referential back then. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was before. <laughs> yeah. Like you we were just like, can we? Let's come up with a shorter term, right. so we can describe every movie we're making now. Yeah, let's come up with a shorter yet less descriptive term. <laughs> right. You know, uh, just to confuse people. Um, so yeah, no, that's that is a neat part of this movie, and and the biggest. The biggest question that Whedon and Godard were asking themselves, or questions, were. Um, like, why does horror exist? Why do we like it? Why does it, why is it so fixated on youth? And, you know, just kind of asking these, these general questions about the existence of horror, Yeah, which is kind of funny for this show, because that was sort of the genesis for this podcast was when we were watching a horror movie and I was talking about the importance of youth, which you and I have, by, by the way, already figured that out for these guys. Yeah. If they need us to explain it to them, we will. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that is the, the, the youth aspect, which this movie plays on with all the archetypes of slasher movies and young kids getting killed. Um, so I just realized my kid's computer is like playing music, but you know, it's, it's like a nice ambient, like gentle sound. <laughs> I don't so know I'm, if your yeah. mic's going to pick it up, but all right. A little production value there. Yeah. Like adds that. Um, but yeah, we've talked about this before, but, but youth is, I mean, it's the essence of life. Look at the fucking billion dollar, like uh, age reversal industry, whether it's surgery or it's three aisles in CVS of, you know, face creams and this, that, and the yeah. other, like, 
the younger that you are, the more time that you have, the more life that you have, which it's it's the same exact instinct as when you trip on the sidewalk and you put your hands out. You're trying to stay alive. Right. And so that obsession with youth is the obsession with with continued life. So it, it, it has much higher stakes, like we've talked about before. Nobody wants to see like cocoon the horror movie you know like i mean who cares like they've they've lived a good life you know it's what you say about somebody when they die at like 92 and you're like well yeah they had a good run right you know like they were you know they should have died um but uh long time ago right you don't overstay your welcome um but uh but no that's the key element and as far as why we like it i i think it all just boils down to um processing uh, psychological processing of our fears. And um, like I told you before, I read that great article that said the people that watch a lot of horror movies tend to be like more psychologically fit. Yeah. Um, just because they're, they're facing those fears. They're asking those questions. They're conquering those things rather than just cowering and putting it out of their mind. Yeah. Um, so I think that they were asking some really neat, big questions, but this is where I start to have a little bit of trouble. And I, I want your opinion on this. All right. So Joss Whedon, Drew Goddard was doing more of the talking to about the the big questions of horror, like I just mentioned. Joss Whedon kind of came at it from the angle of a sort of disillusionment with what was happening in horror at the time, and that he wasn't liking the quote unquote torture porn. And he was saying that, you know, the the characters were becoming stupid. You didn't care about them. It was just movies about, um, you know, prolonged death scenes yeah. and inventive death scenes and that there wasn't anything fun in it anymore. Yeah. Um, I have a bit of a problem with that. And I'm not a huge fan of that. Like, I like the Saw movies. Yeah. Funny thing is, is that a couple of years younger than us, there are like devotees of like in the millennial group. Oh, of yeah. The Saw movies. Yeah, it's and like their favorite. I've absolutely. got a friend and he's like, Saw is the best franchise. Yeah. What? Right. But, you know, Saw? I'm sure it was cool because there was a new one that came out every Halloween. Yeah. Like, that's kind of neat. Like, I like that. that yeah, if we grew it. up with that, I'm sure we'd have the same opinion. Exactly. And the thing is, I don't I have a problem with the term torture porn because what it really is, is just horror movies with prolonged, more involved death scenes. Yeah. That's all. The, it, it's nothing more than that. It'd be like calling, um, you know, uh, like a, a Scorsese or a Tarantino movie, like um, violence porn. Yeah. Where it's like, no, it Some just do. has a lot of violence. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't. The bottom line is people love porn. <laughs> right. That is true. <laughs> yes. Porn porn. Yeah. Um, sex porn. So what are you asking? Do I uh, agree with Josh? Yeah. What I, what I was, the... yeah. Do you, do you think that, do you think that, um, that horror was, it was deteriorating into movies or do you think that the movies themselves, these movies that have like, you know, whether it's hostile or whatever, yeah. you know, do you think that these overly gory, overly killy type movies, do you think that that's, uh, a deterioration of the genre? I mean, I wouldn't say a deterioration. It seems like the next step in the genre, you know, the logical next step, I guess. Um, I liked the first saw because it was different. It was just like, Oh shit. Like they're really thinking of some crazy stuff yeah. and putting it on and it's gross and it's grimy. Uh, but yeah, then subsequent ones were just like 
I, I didn't see any of the hostile movies. Um, I don't know. It just didn't interest me. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, the over gratuitous killing. I, I don't mind it, but I, I don't know if that's the point, then it, I guess gets a little tiring. Um, I'll still give the first saw a, a pass because while that was the point, they were like the first ones to do it. So it was like, we're, they're doing something new yeah. and there still was like a kind of an interesting story around it and a good ending. And it's a solid movie. Uh, but then, yeah, just subsequent ones are like, well, now we have no substance for the movie, but at least we have these kills like those. Then I'm like, okay, okay. like fine. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think that, um, I think though, that there is, uh, you can't miss a basic human desire for, for violence yeah. though. And that, that goes all the way back to grand Guinal, which was like a, you know, uh, an Italian style of, of uh, macabre theater. I mean, and that's going back hundreds and hundreds of years. So this is nothing new or the gladiators, or if I had two TVs in front of you and I said on this TV, you're going to see a documentary, a four hour documentary about the migration patterns of hummingbirds and their mating season or over here, I have when animals attack 17, (laughs) you're going to watch a lion just destroy whatever, like the worst thing that you could be on this planet ever is some type of deer in Africa. (laughs) Like if you are any species of African deer, you are fucked. Right. And, uh, but we're going to watch that. Why? I don't know because we just, I don't know. We we like seeing that shit. Now, see, I'll, I'll say, I don't, I don't know uh, where Joss Whedon, like what, I mean, I kind of understand his point there because this I I semi agree with it. Like the torture porn is a little bit much, but his answer was then like, so instead I'll make a movie that deconstructs like eight hundred tropes of the same. Like, right? Are we forgetting uh, you have to do the exact same things in every yes. horror movie? Right. Well, yeah, and it and it becomes a sort of like. And the movie's telling us that's bad. Like we need to stop. We need to stop doing the old tropes. But I hate the new tropes. Right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, yeah. does it? Well, and the you know the other thing too is that I have a big problem with people making you know people that are in the business and then making these broad sweeping like dismissals of other facets of the genre. Like yeah. you know if it would be like. Um, you know, I, I'm, this hasn't happened, but like if Metallica came out and said like some like new offshoot of metal wasn't real metal and it sucked or whatever, it's like, <laughs> right. well, no, you do what you do and they are doing what they're doing, you know? Um, so it's kind of like in this, I just, I get a, I have a little bit of a problem when somebody feels like they have the authority to quote unquote, save the genre. Right. Like I'm going to swoop in here and fix everything. Yeah. Well, it's not broken. It's different. But you know that's a you get a little god complexy there. But it's Hollywood. Well, that you know, I blame the people who supported Buffy for giving <laughs> Joss Whedon a god complex. <laughs> He's pretty talented. You know what? Just to get get we'll get this out of the way real quick. Obviously, Joss Whedon kind of fell from grace with the whole. Uh, what is it? Uh, treating people poorly. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, but that's what I want to ask about, and I'm not. I'm not going to go off on this. First of all, full disclosure, I love Buffy. 
I will go toe Full to toe. Disclosure: with, I do not. Yeah, and I will go toe to toe with anyone. <laughs> like I consider myself probably one of the biggest Buffy fans ever, and I love Joss Whedon. The one thing that I question, though, is there is a, a social disease going on now, where because of the internet age, where people have come to believe that what they're reading is fact and they're passing judgment based on having been nowhere near the situation, but just having reading, you know, a couple blurbs. Yeah. So my question to you is, so Zack Snyder has to drop out of the movie. Yeah. What's the name of the movie again? Uh, Justice League. Yeah. Justice. Okay. So he drops out of that and here comes Joss Whedon. Now he's proven himself with the, the Avengers, which yeah, so all of you ready to hate on Joss Whedon? Uh, I think you liked that movie when it came out. So lest we forget, <laughs> that one was fine. Um, so, uh, Age of Ultron was not good. Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. But um, but the thing is, is that maybe he came into a situation that was kind of crumbling and needed a strong leader. And maybe it wasn't anything more than just like, hey, your call time is 8 o'clock. I don't want to send somebody to your trailer at 11 o'clock. I need you to be here at 8 o'clock when the call time is. I don't know if that's what was said. Yeah. But guess what? None of us do. Sure. None of us know what was said on that set. So maybe he was a, a dick and was mistreating people, or maybe he was just saying, I've got a whole stable of stars here, and somebody needs to grab the reins or this thing is going to crash and burn. Yeah. Which it kind of did anyway, <laughs> but but I guess what I'm saying is I'm not I'm not ready to write off Joss Whedon. Yeah, it yet. sounds like you like a guy and are not willing to listen to the things people have said about him because it may ruin your opinion of that guy. That's part of it. That's part of <laughs> At it. At least yeah. you can admit it. At least you <laughs> right. can admit it. But I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to be a fair weather fan. Now, if somebody says that, like. He told an, you know, some actor that like he had to miss his, you know, three year old's birthday party or something like that. And I don't give a shit about your three year old or whatever. I mean, if it was like truly cruel stuff like that. Yeah. Then, yeah, I'll, I'll get on board with that. All right. Well, you should uh, read about uh, the things he said to uh, who's the girl, the hot one from Angel. She was on Buffy and then moved to Angel. Oh, yeah. Uh, Charisma Carpenter. Yes. Well, when she got pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, but Those you know, aren't he's, nice he's things. got a funny sense of humor, though. <laughs> Are you going to keep it? But anyway, yes. But hey, I, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that we can celebrate uh, some of his finer moments. Sure. Let's just talk about his art. Yeah. And uh so yeah, and and there is plenty of that here, and and I think, I remembered him directing this movie, so I'm kind of glad he didn't. Like we don't really have to talk too much about Joss Whedon. No, no, um, and uh, yeah, just mainly as a writer and producer, right? Um, and really kind of the guy that thought of the whole thing. But uh, but aside <laughs> from that, <laughs> no, I I think that the movie is well done. I do want to talk a little bit about the cast, though, and I want to talk about these these tropes because there's one in particular that I have some questions about and I I'm ready to kind of like go off on it, but I want to make sure that I'm coming from the right place. All right. So before we get to the actors themselves, so that we know that this film is built around the idea of a ritualistic sacrifice of these tropes of slasher films. Yeah. So we have the whore, the virgin, the scholar, the athlete and the fool. The fool. In the role of the fool, we have uh, what's this, the actor's name? Frank uh, Frank Kranz. Yes, and 
he plays the fool, which in this movie is is portrayed as a, a stoner. Yeah. And I got to say, I really, I like his performance in this a lot, but I, sometimes I sit there and I watch movies that feature a stoner character and I'm like, that's funny because I have people that I know that smoke marijuana and I don't know anyone who acts like that. <laughs> right. Like nobody is like a super annoying French Stewart, like asking for like munchies, <laughs> like just like squinty eyed and just, yeah. like, you know, kind of just sort of like doing the whole stoner <laughs> voice. And like, I just don't see people doing that. Right. And if they did, I'd be like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> like, What's wrong with you? Um, even if I knew they were high. Um, so, I thought that when we're first introduced to his character, now I will say this, he's a little bit different than the other characters because the other characters sort of through like, whether it's drugging or messing with hormones or whatever, yeah. become their archetypes. Right. But he starts as the archetype and then becomes more of the character. Yeah. So that's, so maybe they just had to really like, shove our faces in the stoner thing to start with. Yeah. But did you think that his character was sort of cartoonish in the beginning? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I can't remember any, uh, like it didn't seem too over the top for no? me. Okay. No. I mean, I know what you're talking about with how, how stoners are portrayed in movies. Yeah. But I don't feel like he in this movie was that. Really? Maybe I gotta. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I like, mean, he's don't get me so wrong. numb to it. Part of it, part of it is that he's makes it. Maybe very, I'm you know wanna like him, so I'm refusing any kind of negative <laughs> idea about him. Well, you know what? In that in that case, the stoner's I'll, the best. Uh, makes the movie. I will. I will say that you should keep right on with that, and that's the exact right decision. <laughs> and I support it. Uh, so. So, no, but I'll tell you what, though, regardless of whether it's a stereotype or not, or like a like a an overly amplified stereotype, he makes it very funny to watch. Yeah. And it's entertaining. I mean, yeah, you know, he's got like a cool kind of confidence because, yeah, yeah, he rolls up. Yes, that part is a little stereotype, you know, the smoke billowing out of his windows and stuff. But, you know, they're like, dude, you can't do that. And he's like, no, no cop pulls a guy over with a bong. Right. You fear that guy. <laughs> right. But yet we get we do get some of those quote unquote fool qualities in that same scene where, you know, he makes sure he locks his door and reaches through the open window, but then like, you know, pulls the handle <laughs> right. on the door to make sure it's locked, even though he leaves the window down. So yeah, it's funny. And there are bits there, and we get a lot of that cheeky Joss Whedon Goddard uh humor throughout where it's very quippy and it's very um Oh, how would you describe his humor? It's just sort of, it's got a, a modern flavor to it. And it's, it's very, um, not sarcastic, yeah. but it's clever yeah, and it's quick. Um, it's like, what if Kevin Williamson wasn't annoying? <laughs> right. Yes. Like his writing wasn't obnoxious. Yes. Yeah. And better. Yeah. <laughs> But um, but then we get our other our other characters. Now this is where some of the casting I wasn't. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but it doesn't do much. Chris Hemsworth is is fine. I mean that's perfect. I mean yeah. the guy is 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 born for that role because none of these people are supposed to be dumb people. They're all supposed to be you know college kids and relatively smart. Yeah. Um. So 
I believe both of those things from him that he is kind of a smart, really good looking guy. Um, and, uh, and he's fine in it, but his girlfriend, uh, who is supposed to be the quote unquote whore yeah. uh, character. She's okay. I, I don't, um, I don't know. I wasn't overly taken with her. Um, yeah, I thought she was good. I liked her more than the lead girl. Well, yes, yes. Uh, who's played by uh, that was uh, Anna Hutchinson, and then uh, Kristen Connolly was our our lead. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's weird because yeah, in a movie where it's like these people are just stereotypes, you know, how do you make those people memorable or interesting? Yeah. Uh, the the interesting thing is what the people behind the scenes have been doing to get them to these stereotypes. Cause yeah, she dyes her hair blonde. She's not a, you know, they state that over and over that she is not a blonde, but at the beginning of the movie, she's dyed her hair blonde. And then we find out later, like they put chemicals in the hair dye to make her a little dumber. Yeah. Right. Which that's, that's really is the neat quality of this movie is the sort of, um, progression of letting us in on what's really happening here. yeah and it is funny that you know the movie they chose uh, you know riskily so uh according to mgm but they chose to start the movie in the scientific building or whatever <laughs> yeah and they literally w- did that on purpose because they actually wanted people to be like am i in the right movie <laughs> right. like they wanted people to question that <laughs> But it's so well done because that's where we get the introduction of our um, characters played by Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Yeah. And And the best title card in movie history. (laughs) I rewound it several times and it's great every time. Part of it is the sound. Yeah. Because they get that like, um, but then it just blasts up onto the screen. And what I think is so funny is that I remember you and I watching it in the theater and we were sort of like the movie started and we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And we're just as lost as anybody is. But as soon as that title card hits, we just both started laughing. Oh, we're like the laughter. <laughs> well, and it's after such a great line too. Cause yeah, it's like, all the the conversation is so benign and i mean you you do there are a couple like important things someone's like oh the thing in stockholm didn't go off so it's up to us you know but mainly bradley whitford is talking about like baby proofing their home you yeah. know and he's like so you know and fine yeah they're in the their little cart you know and he's like so it's gonna like take all the shit off my cabinets do you want to come over and help me and just the like are you even listening to me? <laughs> it's so, so awesome. Yeah, the timing is perfect. Yeah. Oh, it makes it so fun. <laughs> and then, and what's great is that immediately after that, we go right into the kids. Yeah. And so you're like, okay. And then we see a girl with her pants off in the window and we're like, okay, this is what we, we came here for. This is what we were expecting. And um, yeah, they, they do it just right. I mean, and there's a lot of, well, there's some suspension of disbelief here. Uh, what I what is interesting is that it's quite a setup to have to get these kids to do what they need them to do. There are several checkpoints that they need to pass through in order to appease these ancient gods yeah. that will overtake the earth again if they are not satisfied. Yeah. So, but it's so funny because, you know, the checkpoints also, not just the characters matching up with slasher tropes, 
but they have the character of Mordecai, who's the, what they refer to the as harbinger. the harbinger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there has to be some old person that warns the kids about, you know, just like, um, oh, from uh, uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Three. Um, was it? Isn't there three? It's, Is uh, there a guy who warns them? Yeah, it's got a death curse. Yeah. Um, oh God, how can I be blanking? Because that's on his a three D right where he's like, he points like at the camera. Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting that you mentioned that. MGM was really pushing for this to be three D. Oh yeah, I saw that it was part of the delay as they were going to convert it to three D. Thank God they did not do that. And and when a it, a fucking fad, I'm so glad has died off. And when it went to um. When it went to Lionsgate, um, that was still like a really open question. And Whedon and Goddard were both like, um, yeah, what do you want to do about this whole 3D thing? And they're like, well, what do you want to do? And they're they're like, well, we don't want it. And yeah, they're like, well, we then we're not doing anything yeah. to be 3D. I'm sorry. I have to look. I will never forgive myself for not uh, remembering the uh, the Harbinger's name from uh, Friday the 13th. But um so, yeah, but we even have that character. Yeah. And he's warning them against, you know, that if you go, he doesn't really try to go out of his way to keep him from going. But he is clearly no. stating if you choose to do this, then that you're accepting your fate. Right. Um. So, yeah, a lot of. Yeah. Weird part of the movie. A lot of it seems to be like they have to choose these things, but they go through extensive means to force them into the choice yes right which is weird right someone was thinking about this movie because yeah bottom line is yeah the you know they have to sacrifice these archetypes but i mean would would a a god you know if i'm uh, killing someone or sacrificing someone as like the athlete but he's not an athlete normally just he's kind of acting like an athlete now because I've tricked him to he's like on the football team. Uh, yeah, but he's more of a, you know, he's not the jock archetype. No he plays a sport. You're right. And you're right. Because even, well, the biggest uh, transgressor of that is that Dana is not a virgin. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but they just like Bradley Whitford says, like, we got to work with what we got, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so you're right. That is a, it is gets a little loosey goosey yeah. with the rules. For something so important, you think they would be like, we need to find these exact people, right? And get them or that into it won't situation. work. Yeah, yeah. But uh, oh, by the way, and I didn't even see the name. It just came to me. It is Ralph, okay. who is the yeah from Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> um, it's got a death curse. <laughs> but um, so yeah, no, you're right. There is a little bit of, and I think they kind of play into the loosey goosiness of it. They kind of admit a little bit that like, yeah, it's not perfect, but we're just making it work, you yeah. know. But what's interesting is is that we're led to believe, and I think that this is neat, that we're led to believe that every country or every region around the world has to participate in this. Yeah. And that it seems as if the evil in those areas is sort of linked to that country's culture. Right. Which is cool, you know. Um, and uh, I, I, It's a I fun little way to do, like, other tropes. Like, yeah. a little quick, like... Here's like the, you know, the grunge or the grudge yeah, yeah. ghost or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very Japanese ghost. Exactly. 
So yeah, they're they're bringing it, and there's like other like mythical creatures and more like Scandinavia and stuff like yeah. that when they cut to different parts. But so I think it's cool that that they have to do this, and and as audience members, we're having to like really, really just go along for the ride here. But part of it is is the humor in the movie really makes it that watchable. So even if you're like, well, this is goofy, you know, this is stranger than any horror movie I've ever seen along these lines, but you're totally buying into it. Part of that is because the science stuff and when when we're working with those characters and watching them is so well done and so goddamn funny. Yeah. You'd almost want to watch an, an entire movie just of them. Oh, yeah. I would love that. I, I kind of like it better than the Cabin in the Woods stuff, actually. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, if we just if everything we see going on in the cabin is just kind of seen through a monitor and we just get kind of the inner workings and more background on the, the whole right corporation or whatever, because it's like, I don't know, is it a cult? They're obviously like, you know, no, like God and the devil exist or I don't even know if it's supposed to be God or the devil. They do like allude to like the guy, you know, down there. <laughs> Or they get a call from upstairs. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, it, which is, you know, I'm sure there for interpretation, but it's like, oh, is he, because that's when like one of the things has gone wrong and they get a call from upstairs and, I'm, and it's like, is this like an angel calling them being like, guys, yeah, <laughs> the right people haven't been sacrificed or, you know, whatever. And they, yeah. And, and it, you know, the one thing that they do. A decent job of. Uh, I know that Godard's mentioned that he knew that their their movie had a bit of a, a hook, you know, in that it's, you know, these this controlled situation, but that he still wanted to make it. He didn't want it to center around that. He still wanted to make these characters fighting for their lives in the woods and that sort of thing, which I think is, if nothing else, well executed in some of the deaths are pretty awesome and yeah. pretty unexpected great timing in this movie of a death happening when you least expect it. Uh, even if you're like thinking something is coming along, but they love it. almost like the title card. They love to just shoehorn in yeah. that like crazy thing happening. But which one, uh, which one? Well, uh, when the character of the scholar dies in the RV. Yeah. That comes. Oh out yeah. That does nowhere. come out of nowhere. Um, nobody really expects uh, Chris Hemsworth to, like launch into a screen of like just electronic fabric. Well, that you can see coming. W well, we, we, yeah, my we, kid did. Cause she's like, wait, that force field is there. I'm like, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome that way. Um, it is a good depth though. I think, I do think that it's kind of neat, but does that, that count? That's yeah. another thing. It's like, why does that count? Like, what's the point of, uh, yeah, cause nobody actually killed the, him. Yeah. Summoning the zombies, or the redneck torture zombie family. We'll get the specifics right there. You make a good point because if if Chris Hemsworth can die just by launching his motorcycle off and then falling off of a cliff, then why don't they just bomb it? Yeah, just pump the place full of carbon monoxide. <laughs> right. <laughs> or bomb it. Yeah. I mean, whichever. Yeah. I mean, that would be a nice, kind, you know, gentle way to right. do it. But um, but you're right. They they do kind of set up these roadblocks for themselves. I, one of them that I think is kind of neat is that the in according to the ritual that the kids have to choose their mode of death. Yeah. So they have to go down into the basement and there's all these artifacts down there and whichever one they start 
whichever one they like, what do we want to say? Summon. Yeah. Uh, is the one that will come for them. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I did like that. Cause yeah. it's just, yeah, it's just full of like <laughs> random shit. You know, that it, each thing summons a, we see later. Yeah. Cages and cages of monsters and each one will summon something else. It's kind of funny though, because if you've got all of these rules and all of these, these checkpoints that need to happen, you know, in order for the ritual to be successful, it's almost like you can picture these ancient gods like sort of lounging in like a green room somewhere making <laughs> demands for like what they need done, like taking out all the brown M&Ms. Like we need this to happen, but no, but we need it to go this way right. in order for this to happen. You know. Well, just- yeah, because they even say earlier, they're like, oh, remember the good old days when you could throw someone in a volcano? And it's like, <laughs> at what point did it stop being that? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you know, did the gods put out a memo like bored right yes <laughs> right um and and yeah so there's there is some suspension of disbelief but i think if you if you just take it in the context of what's happening now and don't question it too much as far as how it survived throughout the ages the one thing i was trying to figure out though maybe they were just throwing out a random date but they said that they had a close call in 98 uh, was there anything that happened in the world in 98? I mean, maybe they were just picking like a random yeah, thing, but I was I trying to of. remember if there was anything like earth no. shattering in the world. Things were clicking along pretty nicely back then. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was that there was just like, <laughs> like literally nothing was going wrong. So yeah, that was a close call. Uh, but, um, but no, we get a lot of fun along the way. Um, and, you know, the, even if the characters aren't ultimately compelling, um, you know, the violence is still there. I don't know. Great weapon. Like, the weapon. Oh, of, yeah. Because I think the our main monsters are pretty fucking boring and kind of dumb. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, I think that's for two reasons. It's easy to do zombies. Uh, and we see so many cooler things later in the movie but if some of those are unleashed, like I feel like some of them are way more overpowered than other ones. Yes. Like if a, you know, two story Cobra got loose, they're not getting away from that or killing that Cobra. Right. You know, zombies. Yeah, maybe. Now, the weapon, our main zombie or uh, redneck torture zombie family has it's like a chain with a bear trap at the end of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, it's like I don't just have a chain or just a bear trap. (laughs) I've attached the two. Yeah. And now it's even worse. You know, it's funny about those, um, you know, the part of the fun of the movie is that the people at the scientific complex have a pool going of like which monster is going to be picked to destroy these kids. Yeah. And it it, it makes it so much fun. And um, the fact that it goes to those zombies Especially when there's towards the end when um, the the bigger zombie with the the bear trap gets like tossed into the lake, but then we see him sort of rise out of it. It's like an absolute living Scooby Doo villain. <laughs> like it looks exactly like a Scooby Doo, like old time crazy miner. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like just like yeah, some uh, recluse hillbilly living out in the woods. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it, but it's fun and. I, I get I get what you're saying. Like we see when we do see all those other monsters, although I guess there is that payoff, though, because while they might not be the monsters that attack our people. Right. We do get to see them 
have some revenge at the end. Yeah, exactly. And again, here comes the pitch perfect timing and sound cue because not to jump to the end, but when there's a situation where there's a breach at the, uh, the scientific complex, and then all of the monsters are purged from their, their uh, sort of captive state. We just hear that elevator ding. <laughs> ding, and then just all of them pour out from the elevators and attack all the yeah. SWAT guys. And it's, it's fantastic. Wait, I, I, cause yeah, they, they show the, uh, the board that they're gambling on. Yeah. And, oh, uh, yeah. I want to read yes. some of these because they're hilarious. Because, yeah, you have, you know, they do summon the zombie redneck torture family. And it's pointed out those are different from zombies. They're two different things. <laughs> right. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you've got, like, classic things, werewolf, uh, mutants, blah, 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 clowns. Uh, there's one, Reptilius, which is, like, an old movie. Called, there's an old oh, like really? movie called Reptilius about, about kind of like a dinosaur. It's like a horror movie dinosaur. Uh, you know, uh, there's Angry Molesting Tree uh, as a shout out to uh, Evil Dead. Yes. Uh, there's one that just says Kevin. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Which is, yeah. I'm, I don't know if that's like a Kevin Williamson call out, but. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Dismemberment Goblins. Sugar Plum Fairy. Yes. Just, they're very funny ones. Dolls. The Huron, which I would oh. imagine is some sort of Native American. Yes. Yeah. Folklore. In fact, that is uh, definitely turn into an eagle. That's a real thing. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. That's right. And that might have even been. That's either from actual native lore or that might have even been a character in something. Um yeah, I'd have to double check that. Yeah. Snowman. <laughs> Snowman. And then we have our crazy ass. I think they refer to her as uh, uh, ballerina Dentana. Oh, the, uh, yes. Yeah. The baller, like cute looking, innocent ballerina girl uh, who, when she turns around, you see that her entire face is a series of rows of teeth. And yeah. it's so off putting. Now, see, if this were some sort of ancient ritual, like at what point did they incorporate the ballerina because uh, yeah. certainly ballerinas didn't exist at some point in time and then did start existing. Yeah. So was that just like, we, people were like, what is this? What is that outfit you're wearing? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> You'll find out in 300 years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Like, and they, it's, a little... I, you could logic the fuck out of this movie and make it no fun. Right. For sure. And I think that that's kind of what the what the writers were saying, too, is that, you know, when they had the overall concept, but when it came to the writing, I mean, they, they cranked it out in three days and they wanted it to be that way. They wanted it to be fast and fun and not overthinking it and that you could probably talk yourself out of liking just about any movie. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, no, I, I think that there is enough cool stuff for us to be like, oh, that's a neat idea and not have to question everything else. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, some really hilarious bits of comedy, especially in the scientific complex when they've got the harbinger on speakerphone <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we take these great moments of like super seriousness and then just like collapse into like normal everyday speakerphone. You're right. <laughs> or, or Bradley Whitford, like actually kind of showing a little bit of humanity um, where he's at the very end and he's like, I can't believe this, but I'm actually sort of rooting for this girl. <laughs> right. She's got so much heart and she just, they just keep coming at her. And I just, 
Tequila is my lady. He just glances over and sees somebody come in with a bottle of tequila. And like, it's just so funny. And um, yeah, so there's Keep talking like, about this is my turn. I have to pee. So oh, I'm going to yes. go pee. You talk. Okay. So um, one of the, the interesting uh, phrases, because I, I do want to say a little bit about this, um, the family that is chosen to uh, the hillbilly zombies they're not completely without merit because they do actually go into a little bit of their history and they're sort of reading the diary of one of the small girls. And we do get some creepy things said where she's talking about that her, um, they had taken her arm off and it was at basically saying like they ate my family, ate my arm uh, for whatever reason. And they also refer to um, someone having a husband bulge. Which uh, obviously is an erection, but I thought that that was a really interesting term for it. So they're they're not completely without merit. Um, I mean, the creature design is just kind of basic, and the fact that we have hillbilly zombies in the woods is not you know entirely unique. But um, but they are creepy enough. Um, one other thing that's kind of neat is that the cabin itself, kind of similar to the Evil Dead cabin is a very sort of restrictive place size wise, but yet seems to kind of go on forever. Like there's, you know, it's, it's not just one room, but um, it's neat. And it's got this basement with this sort of dungeon room that the, the hillbilly family used to, to kill their victims. Um, so th- the setting is cool. And actually speaking of the setting, if you're watching this movie and you're like, my God, this is a really beautiful area. Yeah. Uh, you're probably thinking of that because of your love for the surroundings in the Twilight movies. Um, because it's one and the same. Pacific Northwest? <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, if you, you know, if the camera were to pan over just a little bit, you might see Edward like flying through the trees with Belle on his back and calling her a spider monkey. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it was shot literally in the same, same woods, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately at at the end we do have to fully expose um what we what we already know but have somebody speak to it. We have to have some sort of director of this scientific complex. And we've heard her voice yeah um through you know in a couple of times in the in the movie and it's a familiar voice especially if you know who it is mm-hmm. but um when we do finally see this director come up the stairs it's Sigourney Weaver and it's kind of perfect because she does just as a person carry that much authority yeah. plus a tradition in horror with alien and um so she's kind of awesome and perfect yeah um and when she showed up i asked my daughter i'm like does she look familiar and she's like <sighs> Is that the painting in our kitchen? I'm like, <laughs> yes. And she's like, I only know that because I just assume that when you ask, I, she doesn't look familiar to me, but because you ask that question. That's awesome. <laughs> and maybe one of the only people in the world that would reference, oh, the painting in our kitchen of Sigourney Weaver. Uh, it's not overly common. Great painting, though. Um, so... Yeah, we we get this, um, you know, things have gone wrong. The ritual has not been carried out the way that it was supposed to because of the fool stoner character um, kind of going against all odds. Like they keep referencing like, hey, the pot that he was uh, smoking was supposed to just render him like 
dead to the world, like practically comatose. Yeah. But he's figuring everything out. Maybe that's a little nod to to stoners, like <laughs> having more insight than people would give him credit <laughs> right, for. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but but either way, the shit has hit the fan. Things are falling apart, and we get an ending where, as long as the fool Marty, the character the stoner, dies, then everything is fine, yeah. and the world is saved. And she and Dana almost does kill him. She has the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, but then she's attacked by, is it the werewolf? Uh, yes. Yeah. So she's attacked by the werewolf. And then at the end of the, the whole thing, when Sigourney Weaver's character has been killed and it's just the two of them, they still have the power. You know, the, the, the pillars of the earth are shaking all around them and they know what's coming. And they have the choice of if, if either Dana kills Marty or if they both die, then yeah. the world is saved. And they choose... Well, he's got to die first, though. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But they choose to not go along with the ritual on the logic that, and this is where I uh, it kind of lost me a little bit here, on the logic that, like, maybe they'll do better. Like, humanity isn't worth it. Right. Like we're we're too dumb, we're too stupid. We deserve this fate. Or another another way of looking at it might be, we wouldn't want to progress a culture that we had to sacrifice people in order for it to continue. Right. Eh, I don't know. Right. I <laughs> now like, yeah, because that logic within the movie, it's like, well, the the gods since they do exist in this movie are not going anywhere. They will just make the humans that rise or whatever rises next to yeah. prominence. They'll just make them do the same shit. Right. Exactly. Or they'll wipe them out again. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, this was a whole, you know, it was more of a metaphoric comment on destroying the horror tropes. Yeah. As far as the, as a, is a, what the movie is saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and I I I could go along with that to kind of say like we're going to buck the system and we're going to find our own way. But then again, like you said earlier, so you know, instinctively and and intelligently that that doesn't make any sense because you're like decrying the newness in this genre, <laughs> right. and yet you know it it just doesn't make a lot of sense, but. It's still fun along the way. And that, and honestly, 99 out of 100 people aren't going to think about it that much when they watch it anyway. And that's not me saying that people aren't smart. I'm saying there's enough action and fun in the movie that you're paying way more attention to those things than existential questions. Yeah. So my kid was like, burn it to the ground. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I hope you're not in charge. Yeah. And then we do get this final scene, which I'll admit is pretty cool. Like, we don't really see these gods in like a, a full reveal. We just see this ginormous hand and forearm come shooting up from the earth and come crashing down on the cabin. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe that is a comment on like, we're going to shake up this, these tropes in this history yeah. or whatever. But then again, you know, I, I from what they've said about it, the, we like this movie. Yeah, I do. I, I really, I do like this movie. I think it's, I think it's fun. Um, and I don't think for everything that it, it's kind of funny when you read interviews with these guys before the movie came out 
and then after the movie came out, it's a little bit different. In oh. the be- before the movie came out, it's more along the lines of we both love horror. We wanted to do a horror movie together. We tried to come up with a fun and interesting idea, something new. And it's more just about celebrating than it is like condemning. Yeah. And then afterward, when people, you know, come at you and say, oh, were you intending to use this as a metaphor for that or whatever? And then suddenly the movie becomes much more clever. Right. Um, but uh, but no, it is, it is clever and it is fun. And um, yeah, I think that uh, that it does bring something fresh. I think that if there was one thing that you could have done in the movie for me or just my aesthetics, if the cabin material had equaled the scientific material, I think you would have had a better film. Not to say that the cabin stuff is bad. It just seems a little. Rote. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of just rushed through. Yeah. It just just doesn't seem like they're spending a lot of time on it or like, well, because it's, you know, it's saying all these things you've seen before we had to. Right. Yeah. You had to do it like that. Yeah. Like every Friday the 13th movie, like while you're like, oh, those people are dumb. Like they had to do it. They were forced to do it. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be a little like unsettling if you were working in this scientific community and all of a sudden like Hollywood like stumbles upon the actual ritual that you have to do? <laughs> Like, which came first, the slasher movie or like, which is born of which? Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise you'd be like, holy shit, somebody is catching on. Like, they're doing exactly what we're doing. Yeah, like, have they only been doing these rituals for 30 years? Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Um, But what, yeah, what did they do before we had the technology to, you know, force these people into these, you know, uh, tropes or, or character types? And then did some Hollywood writer just think this up one day when it's been apparently like an ancient trope that's been around for forever? Yeah. See, it might have been more interesting if they all were those character types going into it. And then for some reason, the environment they're in, they, you know, don't follow those tropes. Right. Like, uh, you know, I mean, it almost happened with the stoner guy, but maybe it's like, oh, my God, we didn't. We didn't factor in how much this guy smokes and it really has no effect on him anymore. Like he's like completely immune to it. Yeah. Or we didn't know the jock was actually smart and that's throwing a wrench in our plans or something like that. I like that idea. Maybe them on the fly having to do these things and being like, fuck, none of this is going how it's supposed to go. Yeah, because then you're playing with something fun where it's like you're these people in charge are misjudging or judging a book by its cover right. too much and not giving the, a person who might fit that identity enough credit for what their full potential is. Yeah. That would be cool. Or who they think is the scholar. Like, you know, he goes to Harvard, you know, but it turns out like his fucking dad just gave the school a bunch of money yeah. and he's actually a fucking idiot. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Um, one thing, real but maybe quick. then each one then accidentally fulfills one of the other archetypes. Right. Yes. Jesus Christ. You got a better film right there. Yeah. Damn it. Speaking of a better film, um, this was not when it came out. When was it made? Uh, Like, oh, nine. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I should tell you, if you haven't seen the movie before. Yeah, it was made in nine. It's fine. But 
we the level of effects in the movie do reflect the the uh the technology of the time yeah which was pretty good for like yeah i didn't like it looks okay yeah i didn't hate any of the effects really yeah i mean it helps that we're talking about like supernatural beings so it's not like they're having to look like yeah that ghost was like cool yeah spectral ghost yeah yeah when yeah when everything's coming out of the elevator cgi blob oh yeah yeah (laughs) a little too much going on right 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 and we do get a little CGI blood. Um, but yeah. then again, there's some practical effects. Like um, when Bradley Whitford's character, who is obsessed with seeing a merman, <laughs> yes. which is so fun. And he plays it so awesomely in the celebration when, you know, somebody's like patting him on the back and saying, oh, you did such a good job. That was so awesome. You really came through. And he's like, yeah, it was solid. And then, you know, the line is just uh, it would have been better with a merman. <laughs> Right. But he genuinely looks like broken up about it. Like he's got this faraway look in his eye and you can yeah. tell like this well, guy. Well, because he's so close because, Chris, you know, Chris Hemsworth has the, where I'm assuming the conch shell yeah, right. summons the merman. He's like <laughs> holding it in his hand. He's so close <laughs> to getting everything he wants. And of course he does get everything he wants. I do. Yeah. They set everything up with that. Great. Because even Richard Jenkins is like, you don't. I mean. Sounds cool, but like fucking cleanup is a nightmare with those things. And we see why, because yeah, finally Bradley Woodford gets to see his merman. That's what kills him. And then it's like it has like a porpoise blowhole on the back and just geysers blood out, yes. out of it as it's feeding. And Drew Goddard said that with the, the budgetary restraints that they basically had like one shot to get that blowhole to go. <laughs> so he said, get me like the biggest blood reservoir that you can. And we're, because we've got to get it right the first time. And he said that that blood just kept shooting. He's like, basically the blood, the blowhole blood scene is nine minutes. And you see the last 10 <laughs> seconds of it, basically like it just went on forever and covered everything. So we do get some practical effects in there that are pretty cool. Yeah. And um and so yeah the CGI is fine I mean it's it's recognizable for what it is but it's fine yeah um and because uh, I think a lot of those they did some practical a lot of the, I shouldn't say a lot but they do do a lot of practical shots especially where we see them in the cages like those are just composite shots of you know they filmed a small cage and put a fucking tarantula in yeah. it or a slightly smaller than normal size cage. So you, it looked like a giant was in it. Like you've got one human like right. ramped into the space. Um, yeah, there were also, uh, I read they, they tried doing a, uh, like crossover with left for dead two, I believe. So there are some, and, but that didn't work out. Left for dead's like, you can still use our guys. So just like in, I don't oh. know any of I don't know that game uh very well. Uh maybe I'll play it on the stream, Tim. Yeah. I got the stream all hooked up, so maybe I'll play Left for Dead on the stream. Uh but yeah, apparently there are some it just in the in the big shot of all the cells yeah. of monsters. Oh, there that's are cool. Left for Dead monsters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's uh it it is neat that we get to see like a whole catalog of monsters within a movie. I mean that that part's yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Um but you know, one of the things that is kind of like admirable 
from a ballsy like Hollywood perspective because they are always looking for that hook into the next movie is that there is no next movie. No, I know. Like, I, I remember after this came out, people were like, I hope there's a sequel. Like for what? Right. Yes. What's that sequel? The other hand coming up? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, there, there's nothing else to happen. Um, so I thought that was really cool. It's just very self-contained. Um, we do get uh, for your Buffy fans out there. We do get to see some familiar faces. Tom Lenk. Uh, is in it and Amy Ackers. Uh, Who's that? Uh, Tom was, I believe, his character's name was Andrew in Buffy. Um, uh, part of like a, a late addition to the to the Scooby Gang. Not really an official part of it, but he was one of the trio of bad guys that he ends up sort of latching on with Buffy's crew. All right. And uh, Amy Ackers played a character named Fred in Angel. So that's kind of fun to see that Joss Whedon is sort of bringing along some friends sure. to have some fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a super recommend for me um, from one point in particular. And that is, it's always hard to have somebody watch a movie that you like, and you never know if they're going to like it or they're going to be interested in it or whatever. But this movie is enough fun to where anybody's going to enjoy it. And by the way, there it really is not one moment in this movie that is scary. It's uh yeah, that's true. It's like one of the lead, but that's fine. I mean that I'm not saying anything against it, but anybody can watch this movie. I mean maybe the first attack in the woods is maybe a little scary. Oh yeah, that's no little, you're right. That's you a little know, bit more traditional. You know they're being set up, but it's still a good shocking moment. No, you're happens. right. You're right. I I will give it that. I will give it that. Um, but yeah, other than that, everything you see coming a mile away, but you're supposed to. But the cleverness of the movie, you know, with the whole setup of their every, the environment being controlled and all that stuff is pretty fun and cool. Yeah. Like you could sit down somebody who hasn't seen this before and they're going to be like they're going to be engaged. I mean, it's it's neat. It's fun. It's also really accessible, um, you know, for like if somebody doesn't like older movies or whatever, it, it still feels like a newer movie. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I. I love this movie. And Thor is in it, kids. You're right. You love Thor. Yes. Yeah. And he is. Yeah. He's a he's a nice uh, human to look at. We always talk about beautiful women on this show. That guy's oh, kind yeah. of the he's kind of the full package. Like God. he's I mean, and not to mention the guy's got like really like nice comedic chops. Like he's funny. So funny. Yeah. And um, and yes, and handsome. Also. It was, you know, the the accent's a little weird in this yeah i, I was like looking it's not for bad it. but he, i don't know maybe it's just because i you know know him now as an actor yeah like i can hear the forced parts of it yeah maybe that's why i tried to listen for it to me. yeah you you're right you do it does come through in a couple spots um but uh but it's kind of fun it's kind of endearing to hear somebody try to do an american accent you yeah. know he does a fine job yeah um which makes me think what what is he doing in in the Thor movies, is he doing sort of a? Uh, it's like an English, like a yeah, yeah, okay. Shakespearean, yeah. Okay. Kenneth Branagh did that first movie, so he's got to have everyone do Shakespearean. Did the first Thor movie? Yeah, Kenneth Branagh directed that. What Oscar award winner Kenneth Branagh directed the first Thor? Are you serious? Yeah, with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, no way. Yes. Holy shit, I didn't know. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. And then in Infinity War, the very first thing you hear as Thanos is attacking Thor's ship, you hear like someone sending out a distress call. That's Kenneth Branagh. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> so wait a second. What was the first? Did I see the first Thor movie? It's not great. It's good. It's worth watching. But it wasn't Ragnarok, right? No, that's three. What's two? Uh, the Dark World. It's one of the worst Marvel movies. I, okay. I don't think I've seen any <laughs> Thor movies pretty much at all then. You uh, haven't seen Ragnarok? I've seen that. Oh, okay. Which is fun and awesome so and good, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I didn't see those other ones. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. What's the one with um like his dad and a field and all that stuff? That's Ragnarok. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I haven't seen any of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't. I'll check that out. Thor is at the end. It's got that big metal thing that shoots like a big laser out of its face in like a little New Mexico town. Yeah. I have fine. not seen that. I mean, it's like it's like a fine movie. Okay. In retrospect, like at the time, I'm like. Yeah, pretty good, because I was not, I think I've said it on the show before, but, you know, after we saw fucking Iron Man, or or uh, maybe it was uh, Incredible Hulk, and, like, the post-trailer thing is, like, we're putting a team together, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, you know, Nancy's like, what? what's wrong? I'm like, like, an Avengers movie would work? Like, do you want to go see a fucking Thor movie? And uh, <laughs> now I'm like... Like pissed they moved Thor from my birthday. Like, god damn it. Like I was gonna go see it on my birthday. But now I get to see Sam Raimi's uh, first movie in like nine years on my birthday, so I'm excited about oh, that. Oh, there you go. Oh yeah. uh, but, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh how how long are we at? It's enough. Yeah. And and it, it yeah, and that I I didn't figure that this was gonna be a two hour episode because the movie is is very clear. It, it's it knows what it is. Yeah. And even though it does have those twists and turns in it, it's it's just a nice, neatly packaged movie that does exactly what it sets out to do. Yeah. And, yeah, there was uh, no moment in this movie where I'm like, well, that shot is cool. Well, or... I was going, I actually have a note where I hate to say it because I really like, I know it was Drew Goddard's first movie and all that stuff of directing, but there are some parts where I'm like, I actually wrote down like this isn't very well directed. There's <laughs> there's a moment where especially when they I think when they first get to the gas station uh, where they meet Mordecai, where it's just a lot of really unnecessary cuts. Like they'll start a tracking shot that's kind of like them like in the distance through some trees, but it it doesn't feel like the full length of what the tracking shot uh -huh. would be. It'll kind of cut short and then it'll go to them and then back to the tracking shot. Yeah. And it's just a little jumbled. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it was done with a very deft hand. Right. Um, so yeah, not, not like no miracles being performed in the world of directing in this no. movie. No, but it doesn't need it because it's got the story and it's got the dialogue. That's, those are the real heroes of this is the, the unique storyline and, you know, pretty well executed by the actors and some fun dialogue. Yeah, I agree. I'd recommend it. Yeah. I had fun. It's camping in the woods. Yeah. Especially if, you know, if you watch it with someone who's familiar with this kind of stuff, although I don't know, maybe they wouldn't like it because it's like, I know all this stuff. Yeah. Maybe it would help someone who's afraid to watch those other types of movies be like, watch this. There you and go. And then just apply this kind of logic to all these other movies that we watch. Right. Just know all these kids have to die. Yeah. Or you die. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, just some and training. And you're rooting for them to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, if, if watching that stuff for real is going to make them uncomfortable, then, yeah, just do something halfway. Yeah. Kind of like the, uh, you know what I was just looking up uh, recently? 
talking about like the fascination with horror. I wondered if anybody had leaked the Timothy Treadwell audio of him being mauled by the bears. Um, <laughs> the grizzly guy. Yeah. And, and the girl from Valpo. Did you know that from, uh, from our hometown, his girlfriend? No. Uh, yeah. Graduated oh, in 83. Jeez. And um, we know that that tape, that audio tape exists of the mauling. Um, because their camera was on, but the lens cap was on. Uh-huh. Um, but you you hear all of the audio. Oh, so when Werner Herzog, who directed Grizzly Man, uh, directed the movie, he met with the girl who Timothy Treadwell had willed all of his tapes to or whatever. He wrote out a will early on because he was messing around with grizzly bears. Yeah. And uh, she had never listened to it. And you see Werner Herzog listening to the recording. And you don't really see any expression on his face. And he takes the headphones off and he said, you should never listen to this ever. And he's like, you should destroy these tapes. <laughs> like it's that bad. You can do a better Werner Herzog. Than that. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> a don't less, ever less listen Midwestern. to this. <laughs> yeah. This but, uh, would cause you nightmares. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that's the funny thing like that, uh, that sort of macabre interest in, um, in that sort of thing. And not that I get off on hearing people be mauled by bears or anything right. like that. But um, yeah, it is, it is interesting. And it, it was funny. I was even talking with somebody recently about like the, the faces of death movies and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I kind of feel better about things knowing that a lot of that was fake. Yeah. Like, for I'm, sure. That makes me feel better. Like the electrocution and all that stuff. Like I'm glad that I didn't really see that, but you know, what's funny though. I will say this for myself. For being a horror fan and having sort of a macabre interest in in things, which is is natural, um, there are things that I will not do. Like in the early days of internet videos and stuff, yeah. there were things that I know a lot of people had seen, and I was like, I don't want to see that, and I won't watch it because I know when I see it, I won't ever be able to forget it, and right. I'll I'll know it. There was one video in particular where I think it was a soldier that was being beheaded, Ooh. and I was like, I and I talked to somebody that watched it, and I'm like, I have zero interest in seeing that. I yeah. just I will never see that. Yeah. So if you're somebody that doesn't like really <laughs> awful things, watch this movie because it's more fun. From there. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is this is the fun one. This is not if you get spooked out by the other things, watch this. It's like the training wheels of of horror movies. Yeah. Yes. It's Great. fun. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a horror movie with training wheels. Yes. I liked that. Okay. So yeah, that's two uh, semi-enthusiastic <laughs> reviews for The Cabin in the Woods from 2011 or 12 or 9 or whatever the fuck. Uh, Tim, can't believe you mentioned Grindhouse. Please join us next week when we cover Planet Terror. Yes. The first of the Grindhouse double feature. And I feel like it's sort of the dark horse of the two. Like, you know, obviously Tarantino's name, even though Robert Rodriguez was very much up and coming at that at that same time. Yeah. Um, But I'd say he was pretty established at that time. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Super successful by then. But um, everybody looks to be the last good thing he did. It might be. It (laughs) might be Uh, before just endless sequels of like kids movies and special effects that he just does in his basement. But um, we'll get into that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, but no, Planet Terror, I think, is vastly underrated. I think that it maybe even should have come out just by itself 
which eventually I think they did do, but we'll talk all about that fun stuff. Yeah. Cause it was the whole grindhouse package was pretty novel at that time. Oh yeah. When it came out and it, and it's, it's really cool. But planet terror is a standalone movie that is awesome in its own right. And I can't wait to talk about it. All right. Well, that's next week. Cool, cool, cool. All right, check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Uh, shoot us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. You got any recommendations, questions, critiques, blah, blah, blah. Uh, check out, uh, I mentioned before, I got it all set up. I'm going to start streaming some horror games. I don't really have a schedule yet, but, you know, well, that, that'll come as we go. But twitch.tv slash slumberpodcastmassacre. Huge thank to our patrons. You help make this uh, show possible. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, next week, Planet Terror. Uh, Tim, you got anything else to say about the cabin in the woods? Well, I would, but uh, uh, apparently my Werner Herzog accent isn't good enough, so I'll just work on that and then say something next week. <laughs> no, Don't I'm worry <laughs> about it, Tim. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Was that it? <laughs> <laughs>